Hello, I'm Alina. Hello, I'm Janine. We're two sisters, two PhDs, relentlessly curious about too many things. This is Sister Doctor Squared. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. It's Alina here. And as always, before we get into this episode, we would like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Jagera people as the traditional owners of the land from which we're recording. We are coming to you from Mianjin country and we pay our respects to elders past, present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. So, hi, Janine. Hello. Happy New Year to you. You too. Big shout out to all the love for the Muck Update episode, our final yes. episode of 2021. It's a lot of love for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Now, we did mention the super exciting things we were going to get up to over our holiday break. Mm-hmm. Janine, how did you go? Yep, I got right into some of that macrame, which was super fun. And it looks good. It's decorating my new place, so loving that. And I haven't quite finished Curb Your Enthusiasm, but I'm well into it and enjoying it very much. How about you? I did clean up the garage <laughs> and it is just bringing me so much joy because it's completely decluttered. Mm-hmm. Throwback to our clutter episode, mm-hmm. it just looks great and I'm very happy that it got done. Very good. And can I check whether you have put things up for sale or did you just chuck them out? Oh, no, they all went up for sale. Good. I've managed to sell a couple of them and most of it's been donated. Yeah, nice. Do you know that's become my new hobby over the break because, as you know, I was also unpacking and getting settled and find things that I don't really need anymore. So I've been putting them up online to sell and when people arrive, I just surprise them and say, you can just have it for free. Very good. <laughs> I know, I love it. Yeah. And they like in this massive disbelief, they don't believe me. I'm like, I just wanted someone to actually show up to get this. I don't actually want any money. (laughs) Yes, because Janine has a theory that if she puts things up for free, people think it's junk, so they They don't come and collect. They don't come. It's true. You need to attach some financial value to it for someone to be interested. (laughs) That's some psychology there. Excellent. Okay, so Janine, please introduce today's episode. All right, so yes, welcome to 2022. Like us, you might have some mixed feelings about what is to come in the year ahead. A new year usually brings about some feelings of hope, excitement, promise, but with so much uncertainty in the world for another year, many of you, like us, might be feeling quite despondent and justifiably so, I think. I have always been someone that does like to set some goals or resolutions at the start of a new year. On reflection, I have not been as successful over the past few years in particular at achieving these goals, mostly due to COVID-related interruptions and all of the shifting goalposts that we're all very familiar with now. So we were chatting about this recently and thought, well, let's go and see what is out there in the research literature around New Year's resolutions and goal setting and see what can we learn that might be useful in helping us to set the right goals for us at the moment, and how can we get them to stick? Exactly. So it's quite a popular thing in many cultures. It's certainly not a global practice, but many people do set New Year's resolutions for themselves. 
And we like to have this very clear, it's called a temporal marker to start Mm. some new resolution or goal. And this is called the fresh start effect. Okay. And obviously a new year is a very clear temporal marker. So this is part of why they're so popular. Of course, making a resolution is one thing, but then maintaining it over time is Mm. the challenge. Mm -hmm. Certainly from the early literature, I saw one study here from 1988 Mm-hmm. And they follow 200 people for two years to see whether they'd maintain their resolutions, which were mainly mm-hmm. around weight loss and stopping mm-hmm. smoking. Okay. After one week, 77% had maintained their resolutions. Mm-hmm. But by the two-year mark, only 19% had. Wow. So it does seem to be the trend that success declines over time. And that is quite a common finding. And that sort of fits with what we would know anecdotally. You kind of have a sense that for most people it doesn't really stick. (laughs) Well, sure. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Mm. But the study that I looked at in detail is one that I found which included over 1,000 people and it's interesting because it gets into what types of goals or New Year's resolutions are more likely to be achieved and whether having support is helpful. Okay. And it has some pretty interesting results. So it's led by Martin Oskerson from Stockholm University and it was published in 2020, but they did the actual study in 2016. So this is pre-pandemic. Yeah. And this was a 12-month study, so that's they followed them for the year. They recruited just over 1,000 adults from the general public through social media, news media and university websites and the participants did the study online. Now, at the beginning of the study, all participants were asked what their New Year's resolutions were and what they thought were their chances of success. Then they were followed up across the year to see how they were going. So as I mentioned, as well as looking at what types of goals were more likely to be achieved, the researchers also wanted to test whether providing support helps people achieve their resolutions. Mm. So the researchers randomly assigned participants to one of three groups... In one group, participants received no support. This served as the control group and they were followed up just twice. Okay. In the second group, participants were given information about how social support can be helpful to achieve goals and they were asked to nominate a specific support person to help them throughout the year. Okay, so just someone in their own personal connections. Yeah, a friend, a family member, whoever they thought might be the best support person for them. Mm Mm-hmm. In this group, they were followed up every month and they also received information and tips on how to cope with possible hurdles that might get in the way of their goals. So this was called the SUM support group. And I'll just point out that if I was in this study, Janine, you would totally be my support person. (laughs) Yeah, probably likewise, Alina. I don't don't know if that's a good choice for you. I say you because you just love all of this stuff. (laughs) I do. Like, (laughs) this would become part of your own goals to be my, to be a brilliant support person for me. (laughs) Okay, so that is the sum support group. Then in the third group, participants got all the same support as in group two, so including nominating a support Mm -hmm. person. Yeah. But they also got advice about goal setting using the SMART criteria. Nice. For listeners who haven't heard of this, the acronym is SMART for your goals should be specific, measurable, actionable, realistic and time-framed. 
And it was also suggested to them to go for approach-oriented goals rather than avoidance-oriented goals. Mm. Basically trying to do something rather than trying to avoid something. So stopping doing Wordle every single day would be an avoidance-oriented goal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a tangent, obviously, but I'm very much enjoying Wordle and Alina is very much not interested. So I'm taking (laughs) great joy in sending her my results every day just because I know how much it irritates her. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Okay, so smart criteria approach rather than oriented goals, Mm -hmm. they were also encouraged to set interim goals throughout the year. Nice. And to reward themselves throughout the process, not just once the goal was achieved. Okay. And they got information about motivation, thought patterns and negative spirals. I'm loving all of this. I want to be in that group. Yeah. So this is the extended support group. Nice. And there's quite a lot going on there. Mm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now... Each time the participants were followed up, they were asked to indicate on a scale how they were going with their resolutions. Mm-hmm. So 100 being, I am completely I am sticking just smashing to this. this. Yep, I am a superstar, look at me, go. <laughs> and then zero being, I have completely abandoned <laughs> this resolution. I have done nothing at all. What even is this? I don't, I don't remember care. signing up for this study. <laughs> Who are you? I'm going back to binge watching Succession. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously, I'll just point out that if this study was done now in 2022, that may well be a lot of people's responses. <laughs> <laughs> just nope. No, I think it would just be delete the email without even reading it. <laughs> exactly. It's year three of a pandemic. Get out of my face with any kind of personal growth goals. <laughs> I just want to survive this year. I just want to get a rapid antigen test. (laughs) I just want to have the right drawer fronts on the drawers in our kitchen. And we're still opening the drawers with little tags of masking tape because there's no drawer handles (laughs) on them. It's been three months of that now. (sighs) Okay. Now, let's see what they found. Mm -hmm. So the most common resolution was, as is very often the case, around physical health and weight loss. Mm. Uh These are very common resolutions from the broader research as well. People also wanted to change their eating habits to do some personal growth because it's 2016. Mine are usually in that that vintage. Oh, yeah, they are (laughs) indeed, that varietal. (laughs) Uh, There was resolutions about sleep, mental health, work, study, drinking, and others. Okay. On average, people had one to two resolutions, which is a lot less than what you heard of, Ginny. Yeah, I know. I was looking at my list yesterday. So, you know, I've thought I should scale back given that it's another year of uncertainty, but currently I've got 17. (laughs) (laughs) And I will will do my darndest to get all of them. Anyway. Here you go. So most people considered themselves successful at maintaining their resolutions across the study. Mm-hmm. But when I look at the actual data in the paper, I can see that while, yes, most people were saying that they were still successful across the year, mm. you can see that there was a steady decline across each month. And by December, it was 55% saying okay. that they were successful. Yeah. So when they say most, they're saying more than 50%, but it's That's not right. really... 
all that high and there's it is a clear dropping. trend yeah there's a clear trend downwards okay. even just across the 12 months and that is a really common finding as yeah. we've talked about so was the support helpful now if you remember there was the group with no support they were just mm-hmm. followed up twice there was the mm-hmm. group with some support mm-hmm. they had the support person and had information about why social support might be helpful and then mm-hmm. there was the extended that just had Everything. All the one that, the, and then there was the one that made me really excited. Yeah, that was the one that Janine <laughs> would happily curate herself. I would. <laughs> so this was the one that where they had the support person. Mm-hmm. They knew about the SMART criteria. Mm-hmm. They were told to go for approach-oriented goals rather than avoidance. Um, they also had interim goals throughout the year. They rewarded themselves throughout the process. They had information about motivation, thought yep. patterns, and negative spirals. So yeah. I'm still just loving all of that. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh, I know you are. <laughs> I'm making notes. Well, get this, Janine. Okay. The group with some support did better yep. than the group with no support. Okay. Yep. Fine. Sure. Wasn't a big effect, but they did do better. Okay. But the group with some support also did better than the group with the extended support. No. Really? Yes. Hmm. Curious. That's really unexpected to me. It was. And what's more (laughs) is the group with the extended support did no better than the group with no support. No. Hmm. Okay, continue. I'm very intrigued. So this was not what the researchers expected. No. So what is going on? Hmm. Well... The effect observed wasn't huge. It was a difference, but it wasn't overwhelming. So that's one consideration. Another consideration is that the researchers talked about the extended support group being encouraged to develop more specific goals, as I Mm -hmm. said, around the SMART criteria. Yeah. And to have interim goals. So, and they talked to this in the paper, if the some support group had broader goals than the extended support group, then the some support group may have had more wiggle room when it comes Mm. to success. And when asked how successful they were, they may have thought, oh, yeah, I did that generally. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So what I'm saying is there's far more subjectivity in whether you have achieved the goal with these more wishy-washy goals, which kind of can be a bit weak. Yeah, because they weren't, they weren't advised to make them really specific. and Yeah, we don't know whether they actually did make any goals that were less specific, yes, but yes. just based on the instruction they were giving, this is what the authors discuss in the paper. Okay. So that's another possibility. Did they give any other explanations as to what might be going on? They sort of touched on, and this is this is what I'm really leaning towards, but I might be biased mm. myself, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that, of course, maybe there's just a ceiling effect when it comes to support. Mm. The extended support group had quite a bit going on. So maybe it's that some support is good, of course, but then there's a point at which adding more doesn't actually increase success. It could also just be annoying. And this final possibility is my words, not the author's. (laughs) Everyone is different. But some people might really love all of that diverse kind Mm -hmm. of information and advice coming through, like Janine. Oh, yeah. But others might feel a bit irritated by seemingly constant prompts about their goals and maybe feel overloaded with information about reaching their goals. and Like, you know, I don't frequent a gym, but I know a lot of people that do and they do get, they do sometimes feel harassed 
by the person calling saying, Oh, yeah, I've had How that. How are you going? Are you coming in? Like, get off my back. <laughs> They're all different. One of, the, one of the gyms I was a member of in years gone by, if I didn't attend for like two or three days... They would be texting me. No way. And it might have yeah, been see, that, that I is was annoying. sick or I was away. Yeah. Or I'm only going once a week. Just let exactly. me do it how I want to do it. <laughs> I mean, that is more of just a prompt to go. It's not a form of support, I guess. True. Well, I suppose True. it is. Well, they think it is, but I'm not sure that it is. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, I just, for me personally, I think I might find that a little bit irritating. Mm. My motivation really is internal. Mm-hmm. I don't think that type of approach would suit me personally. Mm-hmm. And that is an important point, actually, because there is a selection bias in this study that the authors point out. People volunteered for this study and people uh, who were maybe already interested in goal setting and having some external support for that yeah, yeah. may have been more likely to volunteer for this study, of course. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a random sample of people here. And also the people in the control may have been getting support. They just weren't instructed to do that. Well, that's another point, and the authors mentioned that as well, is that mm. although they, they were in the no support group, the mere fact that they were being followed up, like yeah. we've kind of just been talking about maybe some form of support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we don't have a random sample of people here, and this might also explain why the reported success rate with the resolutions was relatively high, mm-hmm. notwithstanding that it did drop off over the year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're all different, and that's a point we'll come back to, but mm. there's some more results to go through now. Mm-hmm. Those with the approach-oriented resolutions were more likely to be successful than those with the avoidance-oriented resolutions. Okay, yep. Again, it wasn't a big effect, but there was a difference here. It was around 59% success for approach compared with 47 for avoid. Okay. This has been shown before with goals in general. So having that positive framing is perhaps more motivating. And avoidance goals can be more stressful, whereas approach goals are more likely to be enjoyable, pleasurable. Mm. But they didn't find a difference in the chance of success based on the different categories of goals, you know, weight loss versus mental health versus drinking, etc. So that finding suggests that the framing of the resolution is more important than the content of the resolution itself. Mm. Mm-hmm. And looking at my, I don't call them resolutions, I sort of have goals for the year. I suppose yeah, me it's too. pretty much I call the same them goals. thing. But yeah. Looking at mine, I was interested to see that all of mine are approach-oriented. I've sort of done this naturally, except for I would like to avoid getting COVID. And that is stressful. (laughs) Yes. Right? Hang on, I'm going to look at mine. They're right here with my trusty journal. That is some hold music. (laughs) Do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, mine are all approach-oriented as well, which is interesting because I wasn't really aware of that being a thing, but I'm also naturally doing it that way. I haven't specifically said avoid COVID in my goals. It's just an overarching way of life now. Mine is not (laughs) written down, but it's just constantly in the back of my mind, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so that's it for my study. And I guess in some I would just say that what this study is saying is that in terms of setting your New Year's resolutions, if you... Mm -hmm choose to do this, then trying to do something seems like a better approach than trying to avoid something Yep, where possible. Having some support is helpful, but having too much support might be no better than no support at all. Mm. I would take away from it that having some support is better than nothing and maybe you need to work out what that means for you. (laughs) 
Okay, well, thanks for that, Alina. So the paper that I investigated was by Benjamin Harkin and colleagues, and it was from 2016 in the journal Psychological Bulletin. And the authors open by just explaining that when we think about New Year's resolutions, we can break things down into a few phases. So the first phase is obviously setting this goal or resolution. The second phase is working towards it. And then the third phase is hopefully achieving this goal. And they point out that past studies have shown that the strength of one's intention to achieve a certain resolution or goal, that is, just how much do you want this outcome, is actually not all that great at predicting the success. What has been found is that having a strong intention does have some effect on the success, but it's only small to medium in scale. So the authors then talk about there being a gap between setting the intention and the actual actions that follow. And this is where we need to look to see at what are different people doing in this gap, that second phase, working towards the goal, to understand why some people reach their goals while often others do not. And there are some studies suggesting that monitoring your progress towards the goal after the initial goal setting may increase the likelihood of achieving goals, but it hasn't been a consistent finding across all studies. So this is where the authors have decided they want to do a meta-analysis. So Alina, prepare to get excited. Yes. <laughs> Here we are doing another systematic review, your favourite. Systematic review. <laughs> Uh, so here, for anyone who maybe hasn't listened to our past episode, I think we've done one systematic review before. This is where authors will review lots and lots of studies on a particular topic and then work towards an overall synthesis where we can really get to the bottom of something. So here they're looking at, does monitoring progress towards goals increase the chance of achieving the goals? So what did they do? Well, they went looking for suitable studies. So they had to look specifically at studies that were around this topic and at the experimental design of the studies. And they only wanted to include those studies where the participants were randomly assigned to different groups. And one Very of the good. groups had to be a specific intervention where the participants in that group were being asked to monitor their goals over time and they had to be given some level of instruction or information about how to do this, while there needed to be another group, a control group, where there was no such instruction given around monitoring goals. Okay, good. So they're just looking for the highest quality of studies. That's right. Yes. Very good. I will point out that this was a very large and extensive paper, so I'm providing just a broad overview here. Uh, the authors go into some detail around just how monitoring of goals can be done, I mean, Alina, before I get into what the authors discuss, what do you think it means if we are monitoring goals? What do you think that looks like? Oh, well, it's, there's so many different ways that you could monitor Exactly. So goals. this is important. Or progress towards goals. Exactly. So this is important to, to look over before we get into what's working and what's not because we've got to sort of look at the different ways studies might have been doing it in the first place. For example... If we're recording it, are we physically recording it? Are we actually, for example, writing it down somewhere or are we just monitoring it in our own head? Is the monitoring public or private? So are we just keeping a journal, for example, for ourselves or are we finding some way to share it, perhaps on social media or with family? What exactly is being monitored? Is it the outcome or is it the actual behaviours that you are employing? Yeah. And 
What about the nature of any comparisons? Are you monitoring in terms of comparing with yourself in the past or comparing with an ideal or are you comparing with others? And also, are you monitoring your current state or are you monitoring how far you are away from your intended goal? So are you monitoring, if it was weight loss, for example, are you monitoring your weight each week or are you saying I'm 10 kilograms away from my ideal weight? Slightly different way of thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. And are you monitoring passively or actively? So they give an example again for weight loss. Passive monitoring would be things like my clothes feel looser. That's still a form of monitoring. Or no, we're not going to be paying as much attention to that. We're going to do the actual weigh-ins and record that. And also we need to be looking at how long is the monitoring occurring for and how regularly. Yeah. So the more you think about it, the more complex it is. Exactly. Yeah, that's why I was sort of like, wow, they've got a lot on this topic. But then as I was reading, I thought, no, this is actually really important to dig down into how is this being done. Exactly. And the point would go for, for support as well. I looked at one study that provided support in the forms that it did. Mm-hmm. Maybe another study that provided different support would have different results. Exactly. That's right. So for this systematic review, they found 138 suitable studies. And when they pooled the data from those studies, they were effectively able to assess data for just under 20,000 individuals. So here is the power of doing these sorts of meta-analyses. Love it. Yeah. The included studies were associated with many different types of goals or intended behaviour changes. So just a few examples, and they list every single study in the paper, but just a few examples I'll draw to your attention, were using diaries for weight loss, blood sugar monitoring for diabetic patients, using pedometers to improve exercise, using diaries for asthma monitoring, using websites for depression, and also there were a few examples of using personal digital assistance and one example was for monitoring lung function. So that just gives you a bit of an overview of a lot of different types of goals and behaviour changes being included in this systematic review. Right, so after they put together all of the data across all of these studies, they found that having an intervention around monitoring had a very large effect on people actually doing the monitoring. Here they're just showing we've got a control group and we've got a group where we've taught them some way of monitoring. Did the people in that intervention group go ahead and do the monitoring? Yes, very large impact in that way. Does that make sense? Yes, Good. Okay. So there was compliance with the instructions to do the monitoring. That's right. But now we want to get into the nitty-gritty, right? Oh, yeah. In terms of what, what was the effect of the monitoring. They found that the monitoring of progress did increase the likelihood of achieving goals, but again, the effect was small to medium in scale. So there was an effect, but it wasn't like this massive, massive effect. And they went a little bit further and were able to show what other factors were associated with more success and they found more frequent monitoring was helpful. Measuring the outcomes was better than measuring the behaviours being employed. Okay. So an example, so measuring your weight was better than just monitoring what foods you ate, for example. Making your progress public rather than private was better, and they discuss how 
This is probably increasing accountability, maybe also enhancing some sort of sense of camaraderie. And I think that social desirability factor as well. Yeah, probably. Very powerful. Interesting. Yes. And also physically recording progress was important. That improved the likelihood of success. And I guess I think it's going to improve your commitment and reduce denial, really. Yeah, for sure. So then just quickly, here are a list of factors that did not seem to be associated with an increased chance of reaching the goals. And that was what the exact nature of the comparisons were, whether it was with your past self or future self, whether you were monitoring passively or actively. Okay, that's interesting. How long the monitoring intervention went for. And also age and gender were not related to these results. So the authors importantly do point out some limitations. And one of those is that and you probably would have noticed this, that most of the studies in this review were related to health goals. And that seems to just be a truism of this field in general. And for most people's resolutions, it does tend to revolve around that. Not always, but it does seem to be biased towards yeah, that. Yeah, they are very common types of resolutions. Yeah, so they just point out that it's hard to extrapolate or extend these results beyond that when we don't have a huge sample of other types of goals. Mm-hmm. And also, which I sort of mentioned before in your study, Alina, that it is possible that some participants in the control groups, they may actually have been monitoring their progress, even though they weren't specifically told to do this. They may have been yeah. doing it. And most of the studies, if not all of the studies, weren't necessarily asking the control participants about that. And I know if I was in a study, uh, <laughs> I would be monitoring my goals. <laughs> So you, you know, should be screened out of these sorts of studies. <laughs> I'm confounding the results, aren't I, if I'm in the control group? Yes. So overall, we did not find one single strategy that's going to guarantee success with New Year's resolutions. But what we did see was that monitoring progress does increase the likelihood of achieving a goal, but only a small to medium effect. But it's still an effect. It's still there. And you might recall that when I introduced this paper, I mentioned that past studies had also shown a small to medium effect for having a strong intention to reach the goal. So I think the research, if we put it together, is saying that both aspects are probably important. So that is, how much do you really want this outcome? And are you actually monitoring your progress? And maybe if we combine these, that could enhance your chances even more. So... We need to be choosing a goal that that is meaningful to us and that we feel passionate about. But I think also really monitoring progress intentionally and regularly, doing it physically, sharing with others where you feel comfortable doing so are all going to be important things to consider. And then adding, I guess, what we learned from my studies that Mm -hmm. some support is helpful. Yep. But it needs to be the right amount for you, right? Yeah. And I guess the right type of support for you as well. Yeah, I think so. And also going for those more positively framed approach goals Mm. rather than the avoidance goals. There really does seem to be something in that. Yes. And definitely the approach goals do seem, they can be more fun. Like just think about, you know, I want to go on more bushwalks. Yeah. I want to cook more at home or something as opposed to I really need to quit. Uber Eats. Yeah. So it could be rather than stop ordering so much Uber Eats, cook more at home. You're just just turning it around. exactly. So then what about I want to quit smoking? How could you make that positive? Yes. That's hard. Some of those health goals that really are just about stopping Stopping an unhealthy (laughs) behaviour. I don't know. Could you say I want to 
live a life of <laughs> healthy air in my lungs. <laughs> uh, this year I will only fill my lungs with clean, fresh air. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, look, someone should study this and see if it makes a difference. <laughs> It does sound nice. It does, doesn't it? I'm feeling like... I want to quit smoking feels hard. I would feel far more motivated. I don't smoke, but Mm. I would feel far more motivated with that, you know, I'm striving to... Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So, look, this has been a really useful area to research, I think. I've been thinking back over maybe I need to just held back the number of goals I have this year. But a big one for me this year is just going to be focusing on self-care and really putting that number one because, as we keep saying, it's it's tough out there. There's, there's a lot going on and we need to be looking after ourselves. So one of mine is I want to do five minutes of meditation every day and I think that's a very positively framed thing and I am writing it in my journal every day actually as an entry. So I have to tick that off every single day rather than just in the back of my mind, oh, yeah, I need to do that. I'm, I'm writing it and then every day I'm ticking it off. So I'm, I'm monitoring it in that way. And it is helping. Yes, and you get that sense of achievement oh, when you tick it off Ticking too. a box is... I love oh, a ticky box. I don't, you, can't, you can't beat that feeling. It's got to have a ticky box. And <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't put the line through. It needs to be a ticky box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember at the start of 2020, I had my goals for the year mm-hmm. on a document on my computer. Oh, yeah. And then... COVID went down. And do you remember? I yeah, sent I it to you and I had just crossed everything out and just in huge red capital letters just wrote, survive. I do remember that. And this year on the east coast of Australia, it feels like we're just in that place again. So, yeah, mm. I'm I'm trying to keep my goals yeah. pretty modest. Pretty modest. Yeah. And I do cheat a bit. Some of mine, I mean, in my big list, are just things that are going to happen this year and at the end of the year I want to go, yep, see, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's important. It still requires some action from you, so... Well, that's right. I'm, it will happen, but I want well, to... More power to you, Janine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It is in a square time first in a square of 2022. Janine, what you got? I have... I have just had so many square moments over this over the last few weeks. I've got oh, like a good. backlog. Oh, I know. Good. I know. And we don't have time for me to bring up lots. So I'm just going to bring up the one that's made me the most excited. And then, you know, I'm, I'll work my way through. Sure. Did you know that the first true millipede was found? I did, only because I saw you tweet about it. <laughs> I was so stupidly excited about this, so let me explain. The what does this mean, Janine? Well, firstly, what does this mean to the world? Firstly, I need to point out that the person who found this is a good friend of mine. His name is Bruno Bazzato. Hi, Bruno. He's a biologist. He's awesome. And, of course, I've been texting him a lot about this as soon as I heard about it. So we'll put some links up to Bruno's Twitter and there's been so much media attention on this. And also another co-author of the paper is Mark Harvey, another good friend and colleague of mine. So, yes, and Squares, we'll just point out that Janine's PhD thesis was all about millipedes. Oh, yeah, I probably should have this said that's why I'm why, so excited. Why she's so excited about this discovery. <laughs> Sorry, Go I on. forget that people don't know that. <laughs> Yes. So now, look, they found this millipede in Western Australia. Bruno found it doing some some work out there. 
And that is my old stomping ground. That's where I did my PhD in millipede evolution. And Bruno was one of my office mates. Yeah, so again, I've just been stupidly excited about this, especially with the amount of media coverage this story received. It's so good to see millipedes and other invertebrates getting the love and attention they rightly deserve. So Bruno and his colleagues have published this in Nature. Now, this is the holy grail of anyone studying or working in the natural sciences. I just could not be happier for them. I'll put a link up to the Nature paper in the show notes. But can you please just indulge me in reading some of the paper? Of course, I'll read it. I read your entire PhD thesis, remember? <laughs> okay, because this will explain why this is I significant. Helped you. I I did a copy edit before you, you know, submitted, right? Look, for someone with a background in health psychology and epidemiology, you sure know a lot about millipedes. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I sometimes I feel like I know more than I would care to. <laughs> But they are fascinating. They are. So let me read this because this will explain why this is significant. All right, so this is the abstract of the Nature paper. The name millipede translates to a thousand feet from milli meaning thousand and pez meaning foot. However, no millipede has ever been described... That's so cute. I know. (laughs) However, no millipede has ever been described with more than 750 legs. We discovered... that's a bit deceptive. Yeah, I know. See, look, people in the millipede world, we just, we just know this, but yeah. people outside would assume they do have a thousand no, legs. They do that's not. That's right. Okay, we discovered a new record-setting species of millipede with 1,306 legs. Wow. From Western Australia. I know. So cool. Now listen to this. This diminutive animal, 0.95 millimetres wide and 95.7 millimetres long. That's tiny. Yeah. It has 330 body segments, a cone-shaped head with enormous antennae and a beak for feeding. So cool. That is cool. It gets better. Discovered 60 metres below ground in a drill hole created for mineral exploration. It possesses troglomorphic features. It lacks eyes and pigmentation, has a greatly elongated body. Is that what troglomorphic means? Yeah, it means like cave dwelling. Anything that has evolved in the absence of light will start to have what we call troglomorphic features. So they'll lose pigmentation because it's a waste of resources and energy. They'll lose their eyes. They'll they'll get really long... They're not necessary either. (laughs) Yeah, they get really long sensory structures like antennae and hairs Mm. and things like that. Discovered in the resource-rich goldfields Esperance region and threatened by encroaching surface mining, documentation of this species and conservation of its habitat are of critical importance. Here, here. Among the earliest animals to breathe atmospheric oxygen and with some extinct species that grew to two metres in length, millipedes have lived on this planet for more than 400 million years. Wow. There you go. So this is in a very different group to the group that I worked on. So I worked on a group in the genus Anticoro in the order Polydesmida. In the, the group that I worked on, they generally had less than 100 legs. Well, when I saw yours, when I visited, that was when yours was still tiny babies. So I just remember oh, yeah. them as being super tiny and they, super yeah, cute. They were super, super cute. Yes. So, oh man, how exciting is that? The first that is really millipede. Cool. Yeah. So can we have a picture of it on the website, Janine? Of course. I have already found, I don't know... A lot of links. I've been just bookmarking everything. <laughs> it is really cool. It is really cool. Congratulations, Bruno and team. Yay. Awesome. Well, that's great, Janine. And as always, I'm going to follow up your far more scientific <laughs> in a square segment with something completely ridiculous. <laughs> 
So I wanted the to trend talk. continues. <laughs> Indeed. I wanted to tell Squares about a conversation you and I had about mm? the easiest and most efficient way to put on a fresh duna cover. Oh, yeah, we did. A fresh did. duvet cover. <laughs> so, of course, this is the kind of thing we talk about. <laughs> because my partner uses the burrito roll method. Mm. Now, listeners, if you haven't seen this in action, then check it out in the show notes for this episode. I don't personally like the burrito method, but you go on. No, well, this is what we discussed, isn't it? <laughs> the first time I saw it, I was just thinking, what is this sorcery? <laughs> I watched it happen but couldn't understand what I had witnessed and insisted to see it again in slow motion. This went on a few times because I am still the person who crawls inside the duna yes. cover. Yeah, well, I no, I don't crawl inside. I have my own method. Mm. Well, I crawl inside to position the blanket correctly mm. and then madly shake the cover and That's the blanket not together. The best. That is not an efficient way to do it. Doing that wave mm. motion mm-hmm. until the blanket shifts into the corners and then I have to crawl in again to no. get the blanket right in the corner. No, this is not the right way to do it. Because, it, you know, it never makes it all the way and then I'm inside this, like, fabric tomb and have no idea what's happening in the world outside me and I'm all sweaty and annoyed because it's always more difficult than I think it should be and it's utter chaos inside. But eventually it gets the job done and then somehow I'm happy to continue with this method next time. Have you, have you watched me do my method, though? I'm sure I've shown you. You described it to me and I just, no, I couldn't understand. I'll try and explain it. Well, this is the thing. I'm interested to see if there's any market research on this. (laughs) And if I'm the only one who is aware of this seemingly easy burrito method but has inexplicably turned my back on it. I, what I do is I, okay, you've got your doona and then you've got your doona cover. I have the doona cover. I turn the doona cover inside out. This sounds like the burrito method. And then I put my hands inside the inside out cover and I put each hand to the back corners. Yes. And I hold the very corner edge bit of the fabric and then while my hands are holding that, I pick up the doona. So now I've got fabric on one side, doona inside my hands and then madly shake and it flips the cover Inside okay. out, which becomes right way round. Yeah. Shake, 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 shake. And it's done. Okay, that's not the burrito method. It started... It's quicker and easier, I think. But you just had to go at me for doing the mad shaking of the yeah, blanket. But I'm not in there getting stressed. I'm outside yeah. full control. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this should be one of my New Year's resolutions. Is we... to learn a better method. <laughs> oh, look, I don't need to because my partner does it. This is one of the... This you don't really care. household jobs. I think we need to do some um, Instagram videos of our methods and see what people think. I'll do it. I'm not doing a video of me jumping around inside the blanket. <laughs> I might do one of my partner doing the burrito. We don't need yours because we already know yours is the wrong way you to do it. You can imagine, yeah. Exactly what I described. You can imagine the, the madness. I think that that's a good way to end, Alina. I think so. It sounds like a good point to leave it there. <laughs> Okay, jump around in your bed sheets, Alina. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks for joining us. The details of everything we've talked about will be up on the website and you can follow us on our socials. Good luck with your resolutions for 2022 and if you don't want to set any, more power to you. Indeed. (laughs) Okay, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Okay, thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.